Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Honest Youth Pastor YouTube channel, the channel that helps believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life. Today, we're going to be doing that by looking at a sermon uh, that was preached recently at City A Light Church, or yeah, City Light Church in Las Vegas. Now, in case you don't know what a sermon review is, each week we sit down and we look at a sermon that one of you guys have either sent in to be looked at or some sermon that I've come across that I really think is interesting. And when we look at these sermons, we look at three specific things. One, do they read the text? Two, do they use context and culture to bring out the reality in that text and application for that? And three, do they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what we look for in every single sermon. Uh, sometimes we hit that bar, sometimes we don't. But today, we're going to be looking at a sermon that one of you guys sent in from Jabin Chavez from City Light Church. And we are going to, let's just go ahead and hop over to the review screen. We're going to get right into this. The sermon is about 41 minutes long. If you want to watch this, by the way, without me yapping along and giving commentary, that link will be in the description. You can just watch that straight through. Um, so to be transparent before we get into this, I have not listened to anything that Jabin has ever... I've never really even heard of Jabin. I think I've maybe seen like some clips on the internet of him on social media, but I've not ever watched a full sermon and I'm not really aware of him other than I think he maybe interviewed Joel Olstein at one point. And that's basically all I know. I've definitely never heard a whole sermon of his, nor have I watched this one all the way through like I typically like to do. So this sermon review is basically me and you going in, sitting down, listening to Jabin and, you know, looking for the three things we look for in every sermon review. So let's go ahead and hop right in and see where we get to. Genesis chapter 13. Um, I'm so excited to finally preach these verses to our church. I shared them with our, uh, I shared these verses with our serve team back. So a couple of things as we just jump right in right away. One, it's uh, Genesis chapter 13. So you'll want to go there if you have the your Bible app open. Go and check that out. Uh, also, there are, uh, that's, that's pretty cool that he's got on the screen here, not only behind him, but on the one that you're watching, that uh, if you want the notes for the sermon, you can QR code that and download them, which is very interesting, or they can text them to you. So that's cool too. That's a that's just a nice little innovative thing that that might be a good idea for you to do if you're a pastor think about perhaps. Um, and so we are going to be in Genesis chapter 13. So that's where we're going to be right off the bat. He tells us where we're going to be. He's excited to talk about it. And the sermon notes are available for anybody that wants them, which is great. That's fantastic. You could be sitting in the congregation, have your phone out, get that QR code and get the notes for the sermon right away. If you didn't grab them walking in. So that that's helpful. Um, I'm, I'm going to probably do that here in a second as we're watching this, just so I, I know what's going on and see how, I mean, see how detailed they are. So let's go ahead and listen to sort of his intro here. Back in December, and I have just been waiting anxiously to now share them with our church. Genesis chapter 13, verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we're close relatives. It's not the whole land before you. So basically what's happening is we have Abraham, we have Lot, their family members. Both families are growing. They're taking over the land, and they need more space. They're, they're, uh, their shepherds are fighting. The animals are fighting. The families are fighting. It's just a mess. Look what he goes on to say. Isn't the whole land before you? Let's, let's part company. And then look what Abraham says. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Just whatever, whatever you want to do, go, go do that, and I'll, I'll go the opposite way. So Abraham releases Lot. He lets Lot go. He, he trusts God. And here is God's response now in verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, 
after Lot had departed from him. Notice that. God didn't speak till Lot left. But once Abram surrendered and released Lot, God, God starts talking. Look around from where you are to the north, the south, the east, and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that anyone, uh, if anyone could count the dust, then, um, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land. This is the verse, by the way, we, we're calling this here taking ground. This is where this comes from, verse 17. This is the, the word of the Lord God gave me. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I'm giving it to you. The land represents any area of your life where you need God in that, in that thing. God said, walk it, believe me for it, I'm going to give it to you. So Abram went to live near the trees of Mamre in Hebron, where he pitched his tents. Then he built an altar to the Lord. All right, two things as we start off here that's very interesting that just of note. Like, I, I don't know where they're going. I don't know where we're going with it, but it's something to take note of. Um, so he starts in uh, verse 8, and he reads through to verse 18. But in the middle, he specifically skips um, verses, it looks like, verses 10 through 14. He skips over those. So I don't know why. Like, he did a good job of at least giving us a little context of why Lot and Abraham are separating. But he, he cuts out and he doesn't include verse 10, which says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley as uh, was well watered elsewhere like the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other, and Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities and the valleys and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Now he cussed that out. Now I don't know why he cussed that out. This will be interesting to see why we decided to just take that chunk out. Um, we'll see if we get any hint of that in the sermon, but any, and I've told you this before, anytime we skip over verses, especially when we're reading through a whole chunk and then we mysteriously just leave out three or four, that's a little bit concerning to me. Not, not a huge red flag, but concerning because we want to know why we did that. Why did we just cut out all that context? And then the one thing that he does do here in verse 17, he made a specific note. So God's talking to Abraham and he says, Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And then he does this reading into the text. And he says, well, this is our verse for the year. And it's because anything that we, you know, walk the length of, uh, God's going to give that to us, right? So he's sort of reading a subtext into the text here. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, if he does that more in this sermon. Uh, basically, there, there's a lots of different versions of how you can read a text. And some people go to this like subversion of the version. I'm much more like, well, he, God told Abraham this, this is for Abraham. Uh, but some people will read some things into that. And he does in verse 17. So th both those things are very interesting. Again, we got a lot more sermon to cover. We're only two minutes in. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how he then, you know, if we get any hints of why he cut that out and how much more he maybe reads into this. All right, January 1, I preached fight back. January 8th, I preached press in. And now on the 15th, this third week, I want to preach on look up. Look up. Everybody say look up, look up, look up. 
look up. Father, we give you praise and glory for your word, just for what you're doing in our church and in our lives. Thank you that no one is watching this service by accident. I pray that people today, right now, would have divine encounters with the Holy Spirit in hospital rooms, in hotel rooms, in their homes, in correctional facilities, as they listen to the podcast in the car. Meet with your people, I pray. Release healing today, release wisdom, release strength to your people. In Jesus' name. Come on, everyone said amen. amen. And amen, amen. Thank you, brother. Praise the Lord. So uh, God makes a promise to Abram who would become Abraham. He, he makes a promise that in Genesis 12, I'm going to bless you. Uh, I'm going to bless your seed. I'm going to bless everything that pertains to you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And um, God is now beginning this walk this relationship with his first man of faith, Abraham. And Abraham is learning the walk of faith. He is learning how to trust God. He's learning how to obey God. He's, he's learning to trust what God is saying to him. And God tells Abraham, where, I'm gonna show you where to go. I'm gonna lead you where to go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead and guide you along the way. And um, I love this because God told Abraham in, in chapter 12, I don't know if you've ever seen this. He said, leave your family, leave familiar, leave your, your, uh, your wife's family, like leave everybody and start fresh. That, that's what God tells Abraham to do in Genesis chapter 12, verse one, two, and three. I love verse four. So Abraham left with Lot. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? God just said, leave everybody. And Abraham's like, you got it. Lot, let's go. I love that Abraham, his first obedience is disobedience. I love, like he obeys, kinda. Anybody grateful for this already? You're like, okay, all right, good, praise God, okay. Because God's like, don't, don't take anybody with you. And he's like, all right, Lot, we gotta, we gotta pack up, we gotta go. And, uh, and all of us have a lot to get rid of. <laughs> we all do. We all have, we all have things that we're obeying God, but we're, we're kind of bringing along some comfort and some old ways of thinking. And, and, and by the way, Lot was nothing but a headache for Abram. And I think by the time we get to chapter 13, we get to this point in, in verse 9. Abraham is realizing, okay, I've got to do this God's way. And, and I hope even for our church family as we're now in the beginning of the year, we're, I think people are wrestling with this thought of like, okay, i, I got to do this God's way. I, I've done it my way. I've done it. I've tried to do this uh, adding God to the equation, but he hasn't been first. He hasn't been center. He hasn't been everything. But I really want to do this God's way. I'm ready, I'm ready to do what the Lord is leading me and calling me to do. I'm willing to obey. I'm willing to do what... Okay, so what it seems like we're doing here, I mean, I don't know. We're not, again, we're not that far into the sermon, but it seems very much like a New, York, New Year's sort of resolution-esque sermon in the sense that um, we're using the story of Abraham in a way to uh, demonstrate that Abraham didn't obey fully, and then he realizes now that Lot's uh, family is growing and his family is growing, so now he realizes that he needs 
uh, to obey God fully. The, and then he's making a correlation with that, with the, you know, with the people that are there, right? So they realize that they've brought their lot along with him as well. Uh, and now that lots been nothing but a headache to Abraham, the things that we bring along with us into the new year are also headaches to us. And we need to really finally realize that we need to get rid of those things. We're making a lot of correlations here that, that aren't necessarily here. I'm willing, I mean, again, again, we're only six minutes in. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to judge too soon. Um, uh, but it seems like, um, there, there's some things here that, um, yeah, I don't know. There seems like there's some things here that we're not quite, um, not quite in the text, right? There's nothing that's indicating this within the text that he read specifically. Um, we are sub reading that. I'll just get into that now, I guess. So as we talk about this, let, let me just get into it real quick. Uh, Origen, which is an early church uh, apologist, early church father, um, was one of the first that actually did what we would call like, um, he was very much into the exegetical, like looking at how to read the Bible, how to pull things out of the scripture, all of that. But he, he, he looked at scripture as having like a threefold sort of, um, sort of meaning and you could pull threefold meaning out of any text. So you could have the literal reading of it. So it's the literal, you sit down, this is who, ha this is who's in it. This is what's happening. This is what it means. And then beneath that you had, uh, two more texts. So you had the, I think it was, um, uh, the moral thing. So like what moral thing that can we pull out of this text here? There's got to be some moral lesson, moral implication that we can learn from this text. And then there was the spiritual implication underneath. And usually in that application, he would pull out these, what basically Jabin's doing here is making these sort of what I would consider far reaching implications that aren't there, but um, that, that you can make, but you kind of have to like force them into the text. And so Origen uses this and he usually makes it very allegorical. You know, that's the only way this works <laughs> if you make it allegorical because it's not clearly in the text. So Origen is one of the first to use this, uh, uses this a lot. And then since that, he had a lot of students, Origen did, and they use that as well. And so what we see Jabin sort of doing here is using you know, whether he knows it or not, he probably, he probably does. Let's give him a benefit of a doubt that he's using a very origin esque way to exegete this text. So it's not on the face of it. He's just basically making it an allegory. Like it's, it's history, but he's also making an allegory to make it a connection to us. And we see this all the time. Um, I would consider that eisegesis where you're reading yourself into the text to make that connection. I would definitely disagree with origin in that regard. And as far as that you can make that and it's still faithful to what's actually happening here because you can literally read anything in that way if you try it hard enough and that's where the problem lies but anyway this is what he's doing so this is sort of how we set it up right so we read the text he had a little bit of context skipped over some verses read ourselves in a little bit in that one verse and then he seems to be sort of really shifting the gear full on into making this text about us in the new year but let's see where he goes with it Ever the Spirit of God tells me to do. I think that's where Abraham gets in chapter 13. And so what you're going to find at the beginning of chapter 13, we don't have time to read it, but Abraham builds an altar. He builds an altar. Um, I don't know what happened when he built that altar, but I think the Spirit of God probably started dealing with him and said, all right, so what are we going to do about Lot? I told you to leave everybody. You haven't left everybody. So, so from this altar moment, from this prayer moment, from this church service, Abraham comes to Lot and he releases him. 
And if we're going to take ground, that's what we're doing in 2023. We're taking ground in our marriage. We're taking ground in our mind. We're taking ground in our emotions. We're taking ground in our, in our health. We're taking ground in our purity. We're taking ground in our prayer. We're taking ground. And if we're going to take ground, anybody want to take some ground this year? I want to take ground. I don't want to lose ground. And I also don't want to just put it in park and just wait. No, I want to take ground. I, I believe we can move forward. And if we're going to move forward, we're going to take ground. Firstly, we're going to have to let go. Let go. Let go. He, he says, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll, I'll go to the left. I love this. He, he says, let's, let's part company. Let's, let's release each other. It's all good. I love you. You love me. But, but we're going to have to separate in order for me to fulfill what God has called me to do. Now, here's the... Okay, but that's not what the text is actually saying. Like, so this, this is the issue. I mean, I've already got an issue with this. But, so, okay. So if you go back to chapter 12, let's go back to that initially. Because his whole point is in chapter 12, Abraham deliberately disobeys what God has told him. And now he's trying to make that right. That's not quite accurate. I mean, if we go back to chapter 11 at the end, in verse 31 in chapter 11, it says, uh, uh, I'm going to say this name wrong. I always get all these Old Testament names wrong. (laughs) If you always get the names in the Old Testament wrong, make sure you like this video just so I have some camaraderie here. But Tetra took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, the daughter-in-law, his son, Abraham's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chalcedians and go and go into the land of Canaan. But when they got, but when they came to Hadron, uh, they settled there. And the days of Tetrarch were 250, and Terah died in Haran. So it seems to me that the next, when we get to the chapter, chapter 12, that the reason Lot goes with Abram isn't because Abraham is disobeying. It seems to be that Lot goes with him because. Uh, Haran, uh, he's not there anymore. Like he, he's, he's res- now Abraham is responsible for him. Um, so he goes with him, uh, because of that. Now, when we get to verse and when we get to chapter 13, um, the only reason they're separating, right. Is not because Abraham and Lot have a problem. Like that's not why they're separating. And he read this verse in verse eight. He said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. It uh, isn't not the whole land before us. Separate yourself from me. Uh, so there, there is some fighting, but there was strife between the herdsmen and the livestock and the herdsmen of Lot. So it's not necessarily that they're fighting. It's that they are growing so large that they just simply cannot. There's no way they can be close to each other anymore. I think we might be reading some things in here between Lot and Abraham having an issue with with one another, especially when you read on later that Abraham actually is concerned about the fact that God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's there. If he had a problem with him, um, why would he care if Lot goes down with the city? Right? I mean, but he does care for him. He loves him. And so he, he asked the Lord to spare the city for Lot's sake. So it's not like him and Lot have this big issue, which is where we start to read some problems in, right? If you're using this as uh, an analogy and now you have to separate yourself, you're Abraham and you have to separate yourself from your, you know, your burden of lot uh, in order to go forward and take more land. Um, like there, <laughs> we're making some connections here that not only are stretching the text, but aren't directly in the text. If we do make those direct assumptions about the text, we're just missing a lot of 
context of what's happening here. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt, though, and let him keep going. Deal. This was Abraham's prerogative, and it was Abraham's moment, and Lot should have deferred. Lot should have said, man, I'm just blessed to, like, be around you. Like, God's blessing is on you, and, man, whatever you touch seems to turn to gold. And, like, you tell me, Abraham, you're, you're now the prophet of the Most High God. Like, you tell me where to go, and I'll go. But Lot doesn't defer. Lot was wrong. Lot was greedy. Lot was opportunistic. And so when Abraham says, hey. And that, that seems to be an accurate point. So just give him, give him, you know, points where he gets points here. Is that that does seem to be what's sort of implied here. That Lot sees all of that's laid out before him and everything that's good there. So that's why he picks that spot. So I think to that point, Jabin's right. Hey, brother, go. Go where you want to go. He was releasing Lot to make a decision that though Lot was greedy and opportunistic, Abraham knew that he was blessed. <laughs> and I'll take the blessing of God over an opportunity. And I'll take the provision of God over greed. And I'll take what God can do in my life over what I can do in my life. So Abraham learned to let go. And he said, Lot, do whatever you want because I am not limited by your greed. I'm not limited by your dishonor. I'm not limited by what you've done to me. I'm not limited by your next decision. My God is bigger than whatever you decide to do. And everybody's got to get that mentality. Everyone has to have a bigger mindset as we enter into this year that I'm not limited by what others do, that God is bigger than the actions of others, and God is a sustainer, even if other people are opportunistic and greedy and dishonoring, I'm, I'm, uh, Lot is small, but I'm not going to become small. Lot's got small faith, but I'm not going to have small faith. I'm going to have big. Okay, so here's the, like, the things that he's saying aren't necessarily wrong right, in regards to overall arching principles, this idea of reliance on God over reliance on opportunity, reliance on trusting in the Lord over trusting in like, you know, you know, the, what looks like it's going to be very, very, um, you know, providential as far as like, oh, there's all this wealth, I'll go that way. Like what he's saying isn't wrong. Like, yeah, trusting in God and all of these things. He seems to be reading a bit into the text here uh, because even after when the Lord comes to Abraham in verse 14, the Lord seems to be reassuring Abraham, hey, I know that, you know, Lot just took all of the land that looks promising, but lift up your eyes and look uh, from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, all of this land you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. So there seems to be this idea that like, yeah, Lot went that way and he took the luscious land, I think is exactly how uh, it's, it's sort of... Um, yeah, it's well-watered everywhere, like the Garden of the Lord and the land of Egypt. So Lot goes that way, but the you know the Lord comes to Abraham and says, yeah, but look at all of this. This is all going to be yours. So there seems to be this reassurance of, yes, he took that, but you're getting all of this. And not only are you getting all this, your ancestors, you, you won't be able to count them. There's going to be so many people. And so this seems to be not a general principle for all people, but more so a, a particular promise to Abraham and within the whole the whole story of the gospel throughout the, the scriptures is that through Abraham, Jesus will come. And so this idea of like, there not only are you going to be blessed with all of this, and then we have this, you know, covenant 
with Abraham and the Lord that um, that all people will be blessed through you. So this is a much bigger story than just, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of stuff. Good for you for being the better guy in this deal here. This is the Lord using, again, uh, these decisions that people make in order to bring forth his good plan for his own glory. And so, so reading this into like, oh, well, you need to be like Abraham. Yes, but also like not the point of the story. Um, I have a feeling the rest of this, again, we're 10 minutes into a 40 minute sermon, but I, I have a feeling that the rest of this is going to be very much you based, you having faith, you taking the land, you, uh, it's very much like <laughs> it, it's coming off prosperity. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how, we'll see how we go. Faith in a big God that knows that a big God can sustain me in every season of my life. Lot cannot limit you when you have a limitless God. So Lot goes, well, Abram, I mean, yeah, okay, let me, I guess I'll pray about it. Like, uh, I, guess, I guess we'll move to Sodom, I guess. Well, if you can imagine this, just imagine, I mean, we live in Vegas, so it's actually very easy to imagine. Just arid desert everywhere you look, and then there's this big, giant, shining city. And Lot's like, I guess we'll go over there. My daughter plays eeny, meeny, miny, mo, but she always lands on what she wants. It's like, honey, I think you kind of, she'll always cheat. I think that was Lot. He's like, well, I guess I'll pray, but I guess we'll just, I guess we'll go to Sodom. I guess we'll pick the best city, the best land with the most resource and the most water and the most food. I, I guess, Abram, if you want us to. And Abraham said, yeah, go for it. Go for it. You, you take Sodom and greed and I'll, I'll take that forest over there with the blessing of God. And let's see what God will do. <laughs> Lot had his eyes on the best land. Abraham had his eyes on God. Lot was opportunistic. Abraham knew that God was bigger than one moment. Don't you dare quit in a moment of challenge. God is bigger than one moment. God is bigger than one opportunity. God is bigger than, than, than one trial. God is bigger than one season. God is bigger than one recession. God is bigger than the latest inflation number. Okay, so I think I know why he skipped these verses at this point. Um, because at this point, again, he didn't read verse 10, but he did reference it when he was talking about where Lot went, as far as lifted up his eyes to the Jordan Valley and saw it was well watered everywhere. Um, it was like the garden of the Lord. It was like the land of Egypt. So prosperous things pointing toward like this very plentiful stuff. And so Lot chose for him that valley, this east, separated himself from one another. Abraham set to the land of Canaan, while Lot set among the cities and the valleys and moved uh, his tent as far as Sodom. Now, the verse 13, he leaves out, now the men of Sodom were wicked sinners, great against the Lord. And we didn't read that one. And it seems to be that, like, if you were to include that, like, that place doesn't look as good now, right? Um, though, it would work, I guess, within his, his whole scenario and analogy that he is trying to build up, which is that, you know, Lot picked the worst thing, Um but for some reason he didn't put it in there, but with, with the analogy that he's using that lot picked the best and left the, the seconds to Abraham, um, that doesn't work 
if you say that, you know, oh, well, Sodom was filled with terrible people that the, that hated the Lord, um, because that doesn't make that look all that great now. I don't know. That's why he did it. I still don't. I, I It boggles my mind when you leave verses out, but that seems to be why, because he's painting this picture that Lot picked the best and left Abraham the seconds, but Abraham's still going to prosper, even though Lot picked the best stuff because the Lord's with Abraham, um, which is... <sighs> kind of true like it, it, lot did pick the the stuff that he thought was going to be easier um and the lord is going to bless abraham but then where do we like this is where the exegetical eisegetical part comes in right how far do you read into that then like the question that people always have to ask yourselves especially if you're a pastor and you're preparing a sermon or if you're a congregant sitting there listening to it how much liberty do you have to read yourself into this story then now there are principles right Principles of faithfulness and trusting in the Lord, the things that, I mean, he, Javid has mentioned some of those uh, up to this point. Um, but how far do you read into where you are basically Abraham here? Uh, and you now you're going to be blessed like Abraham was. You're going to be able to take the land in front of you because the Lord has declared to Abraham, you will have this land everywhere you see. Um, how far does that plan or that promise apply, I guess, is the thing, right? Let's keep going. Hello. All right. Okay. Lot was thinking about right here, right now. Abraham knew God was bigger than right here, right now. God is bigger than one opportunity. He's bigger than one mistake. God is bigger than one moment, and he's bigger than one season. So you're going to have to let go and let God do a work in your life. There was a man who was under attack in Second Chronicles um, chapter 25. He, 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 had, he was a king who had come under attack, and so he hires an army to go to battle. And he hires this army to go to battle, and the prophet of God speaks to him and says, uh, don't go to battle, God's not in the battle. You don't need to go to battle. You don't need to fight. So the king says this in Second Chronicles 25 verse 9. He says, well, what about the 100 talents I paid for these Israelite troops? Like, I, I've, I've spent all this money. What, what, what do I do? And the prophet says, I love what the man of God says, the Lord can give you much more than that. I just lost 100 talents. But God can give you much more than that. Can I tell you, this, this has happened in our own life where there's been times in my wife and I's life that we won't get into detail, but where we felt shorted and we felt... Uh, dishonored, and we felt like, hey, you were supposed to do this. Hey, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And, and God gave me this word for our own life. Don't, don't shrink to the smallness of their small mentality. Because God said, I can give you much more than that. Abraham, God can give you much more than Sodom. He can give you much more than Gomorrah. He can give you much more than that opportunity. God can give you much more than what Lot is after. God can give you much more than that. God can give you much more than the pain of that last divorce. God can give you much more than the sickness and disease that you're fighting right now. God can give you much more than the job you lost. God can give you much more than the child that broke your heart. God can give you much more. Much more than that. And so I'm believing in the God of much more, and I'm not going to obsess over the hundred talents of silver. When Abraham lets Lot go, it's forgiveness. I love that he says, let's part ways. It's actually one of the best words for forgiveness. The, The word forgive means to let go, to push away, 
to throw away. The, the idea of throw away is not like we don't throw away people, but we, we throw away the pain. Like I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm actually going to get rid of it. I love this. I'm going to release it. Abraham releases Lot. Abraham lets Lot go. And every one of us is going to have to let go of disappointment, let go of unforgiveness, let go of what maybe didn't work in order to take ground, in order to move into what God has for us. You will never take ground. You will never grow. You will never walk in the promises of God with a bitter heart. Okay, so not I not that that's untrue. I mean, I think that so again, there, there's a lot of principles being put forth here that aren't bad principles, but don't seem to be here within the relationship between Abraham and Lot. So we're drawing a lot of correlation here between Abraham and Lot having this big huge uh, strife, Abraham not liking Lot. Um, that doesn't seem to be the implication. Um, so. Here we go. So we have verse five, for example, right? Go to verse 13 verse. Actually, let's do this. I know this is going to make this longer video. Don't really care. Go to uh, chapter 13, verse one. We're just going to read all of this real quick because I, I, we have to have some sort of context here uh, to demonstrate this, to, to have this sort of build up this relationship between Lot and um, Lot and Abraham. So we understand what's actually going on. So verse one, 13. So Abraham went up from Egypt uh, and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him uh, into the Negev. Now, Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he made an altar to the uh, altar at first. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot, who was with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. And so the land could not support both of the dwelling together so uh, for their possessions so the, were so great that they could not dwell together. In verse 7, And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time the Canaanites and the Prezerites were dwelling in the land. Then Abraham said to Lot, and this is where we started, right? There's no indication here. And the only reason I read all of that is to demonstrate there is no indication that Lot and Abraham have any sort of um, any sort of strife between them. We don't we don't get that um, we don't get that from any of twelve. We don't get that from anything before thirteen. Before we read that. Um, there doesn't seem to be this idea that one, Lot disobeys the Lord, as Jabin said at the beginning, and takes Lot, because it seems as if Lot is sort of Abraham's responsibility culturally, given the fact of what's happened as they've sort of uh, left. And then when we get here, the only real reason that they're separating is because the Lord has blessed both of them so much that there's not enough, they can't live as closely together now because now they have so much cattle and livestock that the herds, herdsmen are, are fighting one another. So it's not that Abraham and Lot are fighting. It's that Abraham and Lot are just, they got too much stuff and they can't be in the same spot together. And therefore Abraham uh, comes to Lot and says, I, I don't want there to be strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and mine, right? Because there is going to be an issue if we try to stick together too tightly and we all have this stuff uh, for we are kinsmen, right? I don't, I, the whole idea, like we're related, 
I don't want there to be fighting between us because of all of this stuff that we have. And so he said, look, there's all of this land. There's plenty of places to go. You pick one place, I'll go the other direction. There doesn't seem to be any sort of setup here where Abraham's like, hey, which one are you going to go? This is a test. It just seems to be, hey, you go where you need to go. Now, it would be interesting. Jabin did mention that maybe uh, Lot should have deferred to Abraham in regards to sort of a hierarchy, which could be possible. Again, this is the first time I'm listening to this, so haven't done a whole lot of background research on it. Um, so he, he could be right there. There does seem to be, as Jabin has sort of referenced, that Lot looks at the good land and takes the good land when he could have made the other decision. So I do... I mean, I, I already said I agree with him there. I think Lot maybe has some alternative motives there, or at least the alternative motive of saying, if you're going to let me pick, I'm going to pick the best. And then he goes that way, even though it's clear within the text that that's not the best quote unquote, because there's a lot of people that are wicked in the land that has a lot of resources. And then God reassures Abraham that, yeah, you Lot went that way, but look at all that you have. Look at all I'm going to give you. Um, and that's the text, right? I mean, we're reading historically uh, a historical text here of how Abraham is being blessed by the Lord, all of the things that's going on, why him and Lot separated. Um, seems no need to read all of this that we're reading into it, into it. Now, again, the principles that Jabin has already said are not terrible principles, but they don't have to be principles that you take out of this text. There's plenty of practical writings within the New Testament that demonstrate this. I'm not saying that you can't pull some principles out of this. We know that, you know, you read some Jewish uh, rabbinical literature as far as that, the rabbis uh, pull some principles out of the Old Testament of how to live by. I just think that there's, we got to be careful if we're going to do that, because there's, it's one thing to pull a principle out of the Old Testament. It's an entirely different thing to, to pull out um, an entire blessing that the Lord gives someone and applies it to you. So demonstration, right? There's one thing to say, Abraham trusted in the Lord, therefore you should too, right? That's a principle. It's a different thing to say, the Lord blessed Abraham with everything he saw, and therefore the Lord will bless every, you with everything that you see, right? That's different because there's a practical, um, actual covenant promise that the Lord is making to Abraham that he's not making to you. And to claim that, and, you know, beyond that messy line of principle versus, you know, promise, ah, it gets a little messy. Let's keep going. Um, uh, I, I recently, when I was preaching, I said, have you prayed about it? Well, I got another question. Who do you need to forgive? <laughs> do y'all hate my questions? So you Again, if you're going to make that connection, you have to show us where Abraham and Lot have to forgive one another. It's just not there. Y'all tired of my, I'm like, pastor, we're tired of your questions. Who do you need to forgive? On that note, if I am wrong on that, like if I'm maybe missing something in the language or in the culture, just simply from not maybe researching this enough, let me know in the comments below. Happy to retract that comment. But from what I see, there's nothing here to, for Abraham to forgive Lot or Lot to forgive Abraham. Who do you need to forgive? Let it go. Let it go. Stop holding on. You, you hate them and they don't even know it. You're up at night and they're asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Good work. Amen. Yeah. You're journaling about them. <laughs> you got to let them go. 
I, I, this is not easy. This is not convenient. This, is, this isn't a fast process. This doesn't happen overnight. But who do you need to forgive? Who do you need? To, I'll forgive them when they apologize. You know, what, what's so weird is that most of the people that we need to forgive wouldn't even know how to apologize. And if they did, it wouldn't be good enough because they'd say it all dumb anyway. And <laughs> who do you need to forgive? And for others, they might give you the best apology, but if, if bitterness is in your heart, their apology won't be enough anyway, because true forgiveness is only born by the Spirit of God anyway. Who do you need to let go? What lot do you need to get rid of? What do you, what do you need to move on from? What do you need to release? What do you need to part ways with? What, uh, one author uh, recently, I was, I was reading his book, and he talks about how everyone deals with trauma, drama, your daddy, and your mama. Isn't that so good? Trauma, drama, your daddy, and your mama. Uh, everyone in this room and everyone online probably needs to forgive one of those four people. Okay, I, I, while he was talking, I just I looked it up because it's just interesting to me. So he talked about it before to separate, right? So he says he's talking about separate yourself from me, and it's this letting go, it's this forgiveness, it's this principle. Um, within the Hebrew, it's just a divide. It's just to divide up. It's to separate down. Like it's it's basically like it, it could be used in the in this divorce ish type of way, but it's basically just a separation is all it is. It's like, we're not traveling together anymore. Um, there, there, there seems to be, and again, this is just a quick reference in the step app. If you don't have the step app, get the step app. It's very helpful. Um, but there, there's no indication of this whole forgiveness thing that he's really pounding home hard here with this, this phrase. Um, it just doesn't seem to be there. Who do we need to forgive? Who do we need to let go and say, you know what? God is so much more than a past mistake. God is so much more than what they did to me. God is so much, and, I'm, and it's not easy to forgive, and I don't want to forgive, but I, but I have to let go in order to walk in what God has for me. Look what Hebrews chapter 12, verse five says. I don't think I gave this to you guys. I'm sorry, but it says, looked after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Think about that, that, that we, can, we could fall short and not receive the grace of God. Why? And now he's going to say how this happens. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Corrupting many. Watch that, corrupting many. A root of bitterness corrupts many. How, why does a root of bitterness corrupt many? Because you can never just be bitter with one person. If Abraham doesn't forgive Lot, he'll always have a root of bitterness that will affect every other relationship. Okay, so, so wait. Okay, so we're the reference he's referencing in Hebrews, you have to understand, has a context behind it as well. Now, it's a principle as well, but this idea that there are people leaving the faith uh, is part of the Hebrews thing that, you know, they're leaving, they think there's other things better than Jesus, so they're leaving the faith. And so there's the connection to that, to that verse, but we, we just, again, we just read one verse and then we bring that context back to this context. So we're using the context that we have right, written in Hebrews and we're shoving it into this context in Genesis 13 about the root of bitterness and Abraham being bitter against Lot. And none of that is present in the text. If it is, please show me, but I don't see it here. I don't see it at all. Again, concept of forgiveness and bitterness and letting go of things, all principles within the Christian faith. 
100% agree with you there. But where is it in the text that we're reading? Like, why why must we shove it in here? Like, it's one of those round bricks and a square hole in that, you know, that you know, that infant toy that everybody used to play with. Like, that just, it doesn't go. Like, it's it does go somewhere, but it doesn't go here. Relationship. The root system affects every relationship. So Abraham says, I got to let go. And, I, and I'm going to be the bigger man. I'm not going to claim territory. I'm not going to say this is mine and that's yours. I'm not going to give Lot a couple of acres and take on Lot. Whatever you want, go ahead and take it. Because God is my source. Jehovah Jireh is my God. El Shaddai is my God, the God of more than enough. He's, he's going to take care of me. So Lot, you go ahead and choose. And, and I'm going to let you choose. And then after I let you choose, I'm going to let God choose for me. Oh, this is so good. What I'm preaching to you right now will make your life so much bigger. Here's why. Because if you'll listen to what I'm saying, it'll make your mind bigger. Okay, so we haven't preached the gospel yet. I'll just, I'll just point that out. Right? Maybe we'll get to it, hoping we get to it. But this whole, this is going to change your life. Okay, well, yes, principles can change your life. But like, we're not here for principles. Right? So let's see, let's see if he gets to it. And it'll make your spirit bigger. And then consequently, it'll make your decision-making bigger. Y'all love your pastor still? Okay, okay, we're still, okay, still like me? Okay, number two. A after you let go, you gotta look up. You gotta look up. So the Lord said to Abram, look around from where you are to the north, south, east, and west. All the land you see, I will give you. Okay. Once Abraham let go, God spoke. Okay, let me just surmise, and this is just me, this is literally me just spitballing here, but what we do seem to have is a fairly close relationship between Abraham and Lot. Again, referenced later on when Abraham attempts to rescue Lot from, you know, Sodom, well, even after that, we see that in verse 14, but even in the Sodom and Gomorrah text where um, Abraham, you know, um, pleads with the Lord to save the city, right? So there, I it's not a matter of bitterness between him and Lot. It seems very much more a, a, a family, a family love between him and Lot. Like this idea that like, he doesn't want to see Lot go, but he knows Lot has to go. And if he doesn't go, it is going to cause problems down the road. So again, just me spitballing here, but it seems like when the Lord came to Abraham after Lot separated from him and he said, lift up your eyes, that seems again, just taking it for what it is to be Abraham being actually a bit saddened by the fact that Lot did have to go, right? A, a bit saddened that, his fa that, that somebody he loves did have to leave. Like, it didn't end bad. It didn't end poorly, but it had to happen. And now he's depressed, uh, maybe not depressed, but he's sad about it, right? He's, he's, he's hurt by it. And then the Lord says, lift up your eyes and look from this place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, all this land will be yours, right? This idea of the Lord saying, yeah, you, you had to let Lot go, but there is going to become a blessing from the fact that you and Lot separated. That's the way I'm going to go with it. That seems to be the way the text reads. The text does not seem to read, oh no, you, had, you have to separate from Lot or I can't bless you, but rather you separated from Lot, you're sad about that, but lift up your eyes and look at what I am going to give you. Again, just spitballing. That seems to be the actual tone rather than, well, rather than what Jabin's saying. Okay, Ooh, I just got goosebumps, sorry. I'm reading my notes, fired up. Abraham let 
uh, excuse me, Abraham gave Lot the choice and God gave Abraham the land. Oh my gosh. Abraham was the bigger person. He had the bigger spirit. He, he refused to be small like Lot. And he goes, hey, take whatever you want, take it. Because Abraham did that, God goes, as far as your eye can see, it's yours. Watch this, including Sodom. Lot goes, I'm gonna take that. And Abraham's like, cool. And then God's like, that's actually yours too, dog. Lot's going to actually be renting that from you. Like he thinks that's his. It's actually not his. That's, that's yours too. Wow. This is so cool. And God, God asks Abraham a question. Do you see it? Can, can you see it, Abraham? Can you see the possibility? Can, can you expand your vision to see what I can do? Can, Lot's, Lot's only looking at the bright lights of Sodom. Look at all of, all of it's yours. Not just one city, not just one region. All of it's yours. To the east, to the west, to the north, to the south. Because you trusted me with a lot. Because you trusted me with that moment. Because you chose a big spirit. I'm now going to give you a big inheritance. That doesn't seem to be... Like, I hate to keep breaking in and saying this. Because I don't know, Jabin. I don't know if... I don't know anything about this, bro. But it seems to... Like, that's... It seems what he seems to be saying is because you did this thing, now I give you this. And that doesn't seem to be what's actually in the text here. The Lord just says, Hey, lift up your eyes and look where you are. All of this is going to be yours, and all of this will be your offsprings forever. I'm going to prosper you and do all of these things. And it doesn't seem to be anything to do with the fact the Lord doesn't say, Hey, because you did this thing. It doesn't seem because you were the bigger man, because you had the bigger spirit, because you da 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 da. It doesn't say any of that. He just says, "Lift up your eyes and look, and this is going to be your inheritance." Right now, again, we we know why. Right, that throughout uh, throughout Abraham's life, the Lord is faithful to him, even when Abraham's not faithful to the Lord. For this, the, for the purpose of way down the line of Jesus coming through the line of Abraham to bless everyone. Right, not just Abraham, but everyone. N- none of this seems to be. Hey, you did a good job, so I give you this thing. It seems to be the pure grace and mercy of the Lord giving to Abraham a thing that Abraham uh, could not have gotten on his own and doesn't earn. Again, any of these points I'm wrong. I mean, let me know in the comments. I'm sure you will. But I, I don't see that doesn't seem to be here. Abraham believes the Lord in verse 18 and moves his tent and came and settled by the oaks. Um, yeah, and he built an altar to the Lord. Where does it say that God said, you did this, so I do this? Where does it say that? It doesn't say that. But we have to pray what the psalmist prayed in Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes. Open my eyes to see the possibilities in 2023. Open my eyes to see my future. Open my eyes to to see what God's doing in my relationship. Open my eyes to see what God is doing in my heart. Open my eyes to see what the Lord, God, open my, because my eyes have become dim and dull to the promises of God and to the things of God and to the purpose of God. And so I'm praying again as I start this new year, God, open my eyes to whatever you want to do because God, you're asking the question. Can you see? So I'm going to have to open my eyes. 
Okay. I just have to, I, I know guys, I know you're getting tired of me. We're only halfway through the sermon and I'm, we're already an hour in. I told you this was going to be long. So, um, Psalm 119 verse 18. Anytime you hear one verse read, especially when that one verse that is read out of the entire context is literally cut in half with dot, dot, dot behind it, please go and look at it, right? Not only is it ripped out of context, it's like doubly ripped out of context because we're not even reading the whole thing. So here we go. One, Psalm 119, verse starting at 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on this earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Your rebuke the uh, in, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statues. Your testimonies are my delight; uh, they are my counselor. So, if you want to know the context of "open my eyes," specifically, it is so that I can look at your wondrous uh, things out of your law. But even more, obviously, there's the context of one nineteen. Don't, and that's not even the whole 119. That's just the section uh, 17 through 24 as it's broken down within the text there. Like, don't, <laughs> please take notes is all I'm saying so that stuff like that can't be. Again, that's, that's principle over purpose of text. You're taking the principle that is true. You need the Lord to open your eyes, but you're taking over the principle of the context that it's included in, which was, you know, that section. I spiritually to all that God is doing so that I can see the possibility. Hear me. Abraham did not feel cheated. He did not feel robbed. Abraham did not feel like he missed out when he let Lot go. Why? Because Lot wasn't his source. Ooh. His eyes were on the possibilities of God. Does it make it better if I go, ooh, after I make a point? I'm sorry. That was a low blow. But I'm going to do that from now on. <laughs> and God said, Abraham, because you let go, because you forgave, because you trusted me, what do you want? You, you asked Lot, Lot, where do you want to go? That has some authority. But check this out. Now God says, Abraham, where do you want to go? Wow. He doesn't say, where do you want to go? He says, lift up your eyes and look. If Abraham would have Ooh, that was a good point. tried to control Lot, you don't get this invitation from heaven. I don't even know. It's like I'm, I'm preaching this, and I don't even know how to give total verbiage to what I'm trying to say. But, but what I know is, is that we can get so offended with people that we try to either control or manipulate or withhold forgiveness or stay in bitterness. And, and, and we think that somehow we're controlling them, but in reality, it's controlling us and it's stopping the flow of the impossible, beautiful promises of God where God goes, well, what do you want? Because we can't even think about what we want because we're just trying to stop them. This is all about, again, I'm just going to reference what I said before. This is very much very all about you. Like what to get out of the way so you can receive blessing, what to get out of the way so you can experience prosperity, what you can get out so you can look forward and, you know, take the year. This is all about you right now. 
But because we've let go and trusted God and we're living with a clean heart and we're living with a pure heart and we've said, I'm, I'm going to forgive uh, whatever I got to do. I'm going to let go and I'm going to trust God. God is bigger than that. God is bigger than them. God is bigger than what happened. God is bigger than last year. God is bigger than, God is bigger. And when I get to that point, now God goes, what do you want? You gave Lot the option. Now I'm going to give you the option. <laughs> I think I'm fired up because I'm starting to hear the Holy Spirit tell me that. I'm just hearing it. What do you want for this church, bro? I don't know if the Holy Spirit says bro to me, but kind of feel like that. <laughs> dog? What do you, D-A-W-G, what you want, dog? I don't know. I, I, I'm getting this thing from the Spirit of God going, what do you want for City Light? What do y'all want to believe for? Y'all want to believe small? Y'all want to be a little community church that reaches a couple people? Or do you want to reach this city? Do you want to reach the world with the gospel? Do you want to help more people, feed more people, help more Do you see that? Now, again, no hate, no hate on big churches that can do a lot of stuff. But there was definitely this, if you stay small and you're a little community church, that's that's like, uh, you're not you're not really trusting God. Like, did you catch that? that he, that's what he said. I didn't say that's what he said. Right? So there, there's... <laughs> Yeah, you know, just a little, little interesting tidbit. More people love more people, serve more people. What do you want? What do you want to do with this music program? What do you want to do with the youth ministry? What do you want to do with the children's ministry? You want to just, do you want to stay safe and small? Do you want to believe big? And something in me is going, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to believe that way. I want to believe big for the promises of God. Here's another question. Where could you be in a year if you obey God? Where would your faith level be, your joy level be, your peace level be? Where would your marriage be, your relationships be? Where would your health be? Where, where would you be financially in a year if you said yes to the, to the promise and process of God? Because here's the promise of God, 2 Chronicles 16.9. The scripture says this. The eyes of the Lord, they search the whole earth in order to strengthen those. Watch this. God's going... I'm ready to strengthen. We, we talked about blessing, what, what God can do. Strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God goes, I'm trying to get behind somebody. I'm okay, let's just, you know, let's keep playing this game. So let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 16. We're going to start at verse 7. Okay, it says this within context. At the time, Hanan, the seer, came to Asen, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lib uh, Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet you did not rely on the Lord. He gave them into your hand. For the eye of the Lord runs to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless towards him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asen uh, was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was enraged with him because of this. And Asen inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. There's a whole lot more going on there that you can read on. Now, there is a principle there, right? The fact that uh, he did not trust in the Lord, but he trusted in other things. It's a great principle there. Um, that this, this idea of understanding that the Lord is in control of all things, 
in all things, is going to get his glory in all things, and that no matter how big of an army or how, in this case, no matter how big of the army you have, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to win. We have this throughout the entire Old Testament, right? There are times where the army of the Lord is small, but they prosper. There's times where they're huge and they get defeated. And it all depends on if they're faithful to the Lord and they understand who God is and they don't trust in themselves. So there is that principle there. And there does seem to be a little bit of a tie-in with what he's saying. But this idea of, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to give strong support whose hearts are blameless towards him. This idea of saying, that, hey, trust in God, don't trust in the other things, right? That's the principle. Not that you're always going to win out in the end if you do that, but rather just knowing that, that God is good and trusting in him. We have this principle again throughout the whole scriptures, even in, I mean, especially in the new when we see the early church going forward. Uh, after, again, we have, you know, um, in the early church, 100 on, uh, we see this trust in the Lord when it often doesn't go their way, hardly ever goes their way, right? Them still trusting in the Lord. We have this principle throughout time for the believers in the in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and beyond of trusting in the Lord, not for the, the idea that he's going to prosper you necessarily, though that could be the purpose of, you know, he, he may come along and do that anyway, but the idea of trusting in the Lord no matter what. Um, and here, the specific instance, you should have trusted in the Lord and not your armies, right? This idea of you should have trusted in the Lord and not the other things. I'm trying to help somebody. I'm trying to encourage. I'm trying to strengthen somebody. I'm trying to bless somebody. God is looking. And I want to be found. And I hope you want to be found. There's an old song that Dr. Ron Canola used to sing. If you could use anybody. If you could use anything, you can use me. And I just want to be there. And I want our church to be there. And I want your business to be there. And I want your marriage. God, if you can use any marriage, use our marriage to strengthen other married couples. God, if you could use any parents, use us to be a voice to other parents. If, God, if you could use any Christian, use me in this city to, to, be a, to be salt and light. God, if you can use anybody's voice, use my voice. If you can use anybody's gifts, talents, and abilities, use my gifts, talents, and abilities. God, if, if, if you're looking for people to bless and strengthen, here I am. He's looking. He's looking for partners in the earth. Wow. Woo, lastly. Boy, I like this sermon. I don't like all my sermons. I like this one. Number three, let me have Freddie come back up. Light a fire. Okay, so here we go, right? Listen for the music. We're on point three. We're going to start that Pavlov's dog thing. We're going to start playing the piano, the guitar, get you in the mood, right? For the end of the sermon. Here we go. Which is weird that he's having him come up because we're only 26 minutes into a 41 minute sermon. So surely we're not, I don't know. Let's see. Light a fire. Let go. Look up. Light a fire. In Mamre of Hebron, Abraham built an altar to the Lord. <laughs> You're going to have to build an altar. The altar represents worship, sacrifice, giving, trust. The altar represents the presence of God, the fire of God, and the eyes of God. In Exodus chapter 20, God said, anytime you build me an altar, 
Never forget this. Anytime you build me an altar, anytime you pray, anytime you seek me, anytime you fast like we've been doing this week, anytime that you give, anytime that you sacrifice, anytime that you serve, anytime that you make your life revolve around the presence of God, anytime you build me an altar, God said two things will always happen. He said, I will be there and I will bless you there. That's in the Bible. That's Exodus 20. He said, anytime you build me an altar, which, by the way, represents the throne of God. Remember that in the book of Revelation, the throne of God isn't like over there somewhere and we all look that way. The, the, the throne of God is in the dead center of heaven. All of heaven centers around, surrounds the throne. So when Jesus says, put me first, seek his kingdom first, he's not talking about one, two, three, four, five. He's talking about put me in the dead center of your life and let everything revolve around me. And when you build an altar and you pray and you fast and you seek God and you give and you sacrifice and you serve and, and, and you forgive and you, and, you, and you become a big spirited person, what happens is your life revolves around the altar. And God says, every time you build me an altar, I will be there, but I'm not just going to show up. I will bless you there. I'll bless you there. Again, I'm not putting a limitation. I don't know what bless you there means. I just know that's what he said. Build me an altar. Your ability to build an altar in your life will directly determine your spiritual success and walk with God. Oh, okay. Hold on. Wait a second. Okay. We're going to rewind that. I typically don't do that because that typically messes with the whole video, but I need to hear that. Um, 2906. We're going to go back to here. Let's, let's hear this one more time. Build me an altar. Okay. And before we get back into this real quick, so this whole build an altar thing is old Testament, -y, right? Um, we don't see that, uh, in the new Testament specifically for a reason. There, there are reasons that in the old Testament, the Lord has them build an altar. Usually again, for this commemoration, for this faithfulness, this, I mean, all of these things that, uh, you see throughout the old Testament that he, it does end, um, because usually he's the one that tells the particular person to do that. Now, um, what are we going to do first? Let's, let's read the Exodus, uh, Exodus 20, uh, first this, this passage that he's referenced, right? So it's Exodus chapter 20, starting at verse 22. Uh, and the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall, uh, to the people of Israel, you shall, uh, I'm sorry, you have seen for yourself that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with you, nor shall you make yourselves gods of gold, uh, an altar of the earth. Uh, you shall make for me and sacrifice on your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. I will come to you and bless you. Right? So he's connecting some things here that are a little, uh, again, we're making some direct analogies perhaps that aren't there. Uh, the Lord is talking to Moses specifically about God's people, that being Israel. Uh, and he says, you know, on an altar of earth, you shall make for me, you know, sacrifice your burnt offerings. And then the second half of that, in every place, I will cause my name to be remembered. I will come to you and bless you. Um, I don't know if that's, it, it, again, I'd have to do more research on this. My bad for not doing this beforehand, but it doesn't seem like that's directly connected to the altar. Uh, in verse 25, if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it in hewn stone. And if you do wield your tool uh, on it, in a pr you profane it. Uh, and you shall not go up by the steps of my altar 
that your nakedness will be exposed on it, right? So there's some, <laughs> there's some things there you're not supposed to do around the altar. Now, if we're taking this for a tit-for-tat sort of situation, you build an altar and the Lord will show up. Um, if, if that's what you're saying, if that's what Jabin is actually talking about, this is a physical altar. There are physical things that happen here, and there are things that you should and should not do with it, right? So if we're going to take the promise, you have to take the whole thing. Um, and again, I think we all see how silly that is. Um, so that, that just seems to be, again, you're pulling a promise out of a specific verse and applying it to everything, um, which is problematic. Again, principles here, uh, versus actual practicality of what you're supposed to do. Um, so let's go with this now. Um, let's, he's about to say something. This is why I rewound it. L let's go ahead and watch what he says here. Um, I just want to rehear him because I don't want to take him wrong, but it seemed concerning. Your ability to build an altar in your life will directly determine your spiritual success and walk with God. Okay, your ability to build an altar in your life will directly affect your spiritual walk with the Lord. Will it? So let's just stop here real quick. Again, he may get to the gospel presentation here in a moment, but um, what affects your spiritual walk with the Lord uh, is your, are you reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ his Son? right? Like how, have you, have you had faith believed and followed after the Lord? Like that's the only thing, right? Cause you, you can't make yourself right. Jesus reconciles you to the father, um, through his perfect life, death, resurrection, and your belief in him. Do you believe in him? Have you repented? Meaning have you turned your mind around and instead of pursuing sin, you pursue Jesus? this is what makes you right with the Lord. Not even you doing that because your faith is a gift from God in the first place, but the ability that, that Jesus makes you right. Like that's what affects your faith walk. And then the Holy Spirit, obviously, in your life, sanctifying you to make you more like Christ, right? The process of sanctification. Like that's what affects that, not your ability to figuratively build an altar because we all know Jabin's not actually talking about building an altar as is described in Exodus here. So your ability to figuratively build an altar in your life, Jabin is saying, directly affects your spiritual walk with the Lord. Does it? Now again, to give him some grace here, he did go back and say that like you have to put the Lord in the center of your life and that's the uh, figurative altar that you, you know, everything is surrounded. Yes, but like, there's still that gospel part of it where, you know, do you know Jesus? Like, he's the one that makes you right. Like, being reconciled to the Father with the Holy Spirit sanctifying you, that affects your spiritual walk. I, I, I'm not saying that Jabin doesn't know this. I'm sure he does. It's just the wording is a bit peculiar to me. No altar, no victory. No altar, no freedom. No altar, no presence, no altar, no peace. When you don't feel like reading the word, but you build an altar. When it's cold and rainy outside, like it's been here in Vegas, we haven't seen rain in like 50 years, and here it is, and it won't leave. And you don't want to get ready and come to church, but you get to church, you're building an altar. When you trust God with your tithe and offering, you're building an altar. Hundreds and hundreds of people in our church who joined in with the miracle offering, we built an altar. Awesome men and women of God every Sunday morning that get to Sierra Vista at 6 a.m. and help set up and are there till 2.30 p.m. tearing down, they're building an altar. Th things are now s s 
I'm now centering my life around the kingdom, not around me, around. And God said, I will bless you there. He, he did it in Hebron. Let's all learn a Hebrew word. Everyone say Hebron. Congratulations, you're a theologian. This word Hebron means friendship, alliance, to be joined together in covenant. Oh my God. James said, don't be friends with the world, the world system, world's thinking, world's ways. Don't be friends with the world because friendship with the world is, is enmity towards God. Abraham said, Lot, you go take the world. I'm going to go build a friendship, an alliance. I'm going to go build a covenant with God. This is not what is in here. I'm losing my mind, guys. I'm losing my mind. We're 10 minutes away from being done with this sermon. We're an hour and 10 into this, this um, review. Um, we keep pounding this point home that's not in the text. Like, it's not hard. It, it's not here. It's just, I mean, you can, we can reread it 5,000 times. I'm not going to read it again, but it's not here. So there's some principles here that are very good. I've already said that. But we're reading a ton in here. Yes, Abraham makes an altar. Abraham has, already has a covenant with the Lord. Um, this is why he left initially that we've referenced back in, um, uh, yeah, back in, in 12. Anyway, I, let's keep going. We're almost done. God, I'm not building an altar just anywhere. I'm doing it in Hebron. I'm, I'm, I'm letting God know, God, I want to be your friend. I want to be in an alliance with you. I want to be joined together in covenant with you. Abraham is the father of our faith. And what makes Abraham's faith so special is his ability to build an altar. God gave him a promise in Genesis. No, okay, well, hold on. He's going to get to it. Let's see if he gets to it. This is 12. I'm going to bless you. You know what Abraham did? Built an altar. Started having conflict with Lot. You know what he did? Genesis 13, built an altar. Released Lot to Sodom and was probably dealing with his own like, oh my gosh, what have I just done? So he went up to Hebron and he built an altar. And then in Genesis 22, when God says, I want Isaac, he built an altar. Abraham didn't just have some kind of ethereal faith. Oh, I have faith. No. His faith was proven and shown in his ability to build an altar. No, okay. So I was waiting for him. So he might get to this, maybe. I mean, this would be a great place to put it if he was going to put it somewhere. But uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith... Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of a place that when he received as an inheritance, he went out not knowing where he was going, but by faith when he went to live in the land promised as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs to him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designers and builders is God. By faith, Sarah, uh, so here we go, herself received power. So this keeps going on, but the the author of Hebrews specifically points to this, this idea that Abraham goes out by faith and his faith is shown by he's him knowing that he's going to have an inheritance that he's, he still can't see. So it's this faith that Abraham has in something he doesn't even know if he's ever going to get to live to see. 
but he trusts God that God has said he's going to do something. So he knows that God will do it, even if he doesn't see it. So this whole promise that we have back that the Jabin uses in, in Genesis chapter 13 with look all this place, it's going to be yours and all your descendants and you just have to take it. Um, Abraham doesn't get to see all of that promise. This is the whole point of the author in chapter 11, verse 8. Right? He obeyed, and that was the faith. He, he, he trusted that the Lord was going to do what the Lord was going to do, so he obeyed, even though he didn't get to see this, the city that the foundations of the builder being God. Maybe he'll interject that. I, I, I hope he does. This is a perfect place to put it. Hebron in Mamre. Mamre means fully assimilated well-fed, abundantly supplied. <laughs> By the way, Sodom means scorched. <laughs> you go deal with the world if you want to. They're getting scorched. I mean, just never enough peace, never enough joy, never enough sex, never enough money, never enough, never a fancy enough car, never a new enough this, never a blingy enough this it's just it's just dead it's just scorched it's just ain't that true anybody ain't that true we're not judging anybody it's just it's the world system the world system in first john is it's the pride of life and it's the lust of the flesh and it's the love of money and you never have enough of it so you're always needing more but in the kingdom of god when you build an altar you're fully assimilated you're well fed you're abundantly supplied I'm going with the kingdom. I'm going to build me an altar. I'm going to stay right there in the presence of God. I'm going to stay tender towards the presence of God. I'm going to stay broken in the presence of God. I'm going to bow my knee in the presence of God. I'm going to love people in the presence of God. I'm not a career Christian. I'm not a, I'm not a preacher who has to be a Christian because this is what I do for a career. I, my whole life is built around the presence And God blessed them there. And God will bless you there. Look up. Let go. Light a fire. I believe God has big things, big plans, big promises for you in 2023. Watch this though. You got to have a big heart. I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but we are, I mean, we're almost there. I mean, I guess ah, we could fit the gospel in right under the bar here, but we haven't talked about Jesus once in all of this. Um, which, again, the Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews connects Abraham's faithfulness along with all those faithfulness uh, being correct, connected to the Lord, again, down the line of faith uh, leading to Christ. Let's see if we, let's see if we get there. Can't be small like Lot, greedy, my, 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 me, 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 me. You have to live with a big spirit. Big prayers, big sacrifice, big altars. Where God can do big things. Wow. Praise the Lord. Anybody getting this today? Anybody getting this? I just, man, I feel that. Glory. 
I want you to join me. I want you to grab um, your phone. And I want you to open up your little notes page. Y'all have a little notes page? Even if you don't have an iPhone, you have something like it. (laughs) I'm not teasing. I'm saying like, right? We all kind of probably have something like that. I want you to write down what you're believing God for this year at some point throughout today. At the, at the top of what I'm believing God for, I have my, my phrase for the year, radical generosity, radical harvest. Radical generosity, radical harvest. That's what I'm believing God for this year. This year I'm sowing my speaking engagements into the house of God, uh, into city lights. So Tuesday we preached in Houston, I didn't get a check. Went directly to City Light Church. And I'm sowing a lot of money this year into the, into the house and into the building. Why? Not just for radical generosity, radical harvest. If I, if I told you how much that is, it might be jarring. Because <laughs> the devil tells me every day how much it is. Uh, but I, I have a little scripture. I don't know if you've ever read this scripture. So real quick, to give him some props, that is, that's admirable to do. I mean, he could easily take that money and pocket it, and he doesn't. So that's good. That's I mean, give him props for that. I think that's uh, sort of a Rick Warren esque sort of situation, right? So when, I don't know if you know the story. Rick Warren, whenever he wrote the Purpose Driven Church or Life Purpose Driven Life, I think it was like he gave all that money to Saddleback, and I think he took like like a ten percent of that and gave the ninety. Like he reverse tithed, basically, is how it was set up. So um, you can't dog a dude for donating that. It's in 2 Chronicles 25, 9. It says, the Lord can give me much more than that. And I feel like praying in tongues tonight. So, so I'm sowing this year. Anytime you see me traveling, we're, we're sowing offerings right into City Light Church exclusively. And we're going to pour money into the building. So that's what I'm, so the word of the Lord to me was radical generosity, but Jabin, it's not going to stop there. You're going to have radical harvest. That's what I'm believing God for. And then I wrote down all the fun things I'm believing God for, which are none of your business. <laughs> Can you write down some dreams, some promises, some, things, some expectation you're believing for this year? Don't consult the White House, CNN, Fox News, Newsmax, Joe Rogan, Gary V, Patrick Bed David, Dr. Fauci. Don't consult any of them. When, when you write this stuff, don't, don't ask any, don't ask Lot's permission. <sighs> Say amen, somebody. Don't. Again, we're, uh, I, oh, we're so close to being done. Don't go to the world and ask permission. Don't go to Sodom and ask for permission. Believe God. I got some things on here that cannot come to pass in the world system. It's going to have to be a supernatural harvest. Am I all right tonight? Is that all right? Let go. Look up. Light a fire. And you watch what God will do in your life. Man. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for my... 
Okay, so he's going to get to the prayer part. So let's go back to the main screen. Um, so real quick, I mean, just, just to make this point clear, as I try to do in every sermon review, forgot to do it at the beginning. This isn't about Jabin or anything personal with him. This is about looking at the sermon and saying, hey, was this truly the text? So let's go through real quick. Let's walk through before and go through the three things that we look at in every sermon review, right? Did he read the text? He did. You got to give him props there. He did read the text. Uh, again, we did cut out a section there, which I think I kind of can assume why why he cut that out. But we did cut a section out. And then uh, we did use some other texts that I, I, well, I mentioned it when we did. Like the Psalm 119, I think we just totally butchered out of context. But, you know, we did read the text. Uh, the second thing, did we use the text to exegete context and culture out of that uh, for application for the modern believer? Um, I think it would be really easy. Like, let me explain this. So we did use context and culture that was helpful, but I think that the key part here that's problematic is that we read something into the relationship between Lot and Abraham that wasn't there. And we read it in so much that it became a main point to the whole sermon and it's not there. And so now we've read an entire plot point into the story that the story isn't providing for us to make a point about something else. So we, we, did use, you know, culture context to bring an application, but we kind of butchered it along the way, if that makes sense. Now, the third one is the most important here. Now, normally I would say that, um, you know, there are times where I think maybe not mentioning the gospel outright would, is appropriate, especially if, if it's already built into the text or um, if like you, the text is pretty gospel heavy already, like just flat out saying it maybe isn't needed because you've already kind of included it. Again, I've, I mentioned this every single time. I did a sermon review of my own sermon in which I didn't include the full gospel, which I felt like, ah, I'm the one that does this all the time. It should be in there. But you can go check that one out if you'd want. But as always, I'll mention Matt Fries. Um, he purposely puts, we did a sermon review of him. He is a patron, but he, he deliberately puts in the gospel at the end of every single message. And especially, I would say, probably at the end of something like this, if you're going to read an Old Testament text, because it's not in there. Like you're going to have to include it and where he, where, where Jabin had an opportunity to include the gospel, uh, with the Hebrews, like one to one, like we could talk about Abraham right there with Hebrews, with his faithfulness. He doesn't. And though this isn't a totally godless sermon, cause he does, he talks about building altar to the Lord, centering your life around the Lord, making sure everything's centered around the Lord. Yes. Um, you, you could go away and you've not heard about Jesus one time. You've not heard once, in this service at least, again, this is just one service, so I don't want to be too critical, but if this is the only sermon you hear, you've not heard that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, rose in defeat of sin and death, and now you can be made right with the creator of all things through Jesus Christ. He has reconciled you to the Father through his life, death, and resurrection. Um, and that now we are ministers of reconciliation, Paul says later, that we're supposed to go tell the world that. So all of the things Jabin's talked about, about being, having a big heart and being super generous and doing like the world can do those things. The world does those things without Jesus. But this idea of having a changed heart and a changed mind that totally alters the way you do these things and the reason you do these things, um, that is only through Jesus Christ. And we even have a deeper connection here. In regards to when we're talking about Abraham specifically, we're talking about Abraham being uh, the line in which Jesus comes through, right? And the idea of, of God establishing a covenant with Abraham for that purpose. 
and being a faithful God to an unfaithful people to bring forth the Messiah that was promised all the way back in Genesis 3 in order to to make all things uh, right and new again. So anyway, there's that. Let me know what you think in the comment section below. I'm sure you have some feedback. If you liked it, make sure you hit that like button. If you hated it, make sure, I guess, you can hit that dislike button. I'll just cry a little bit in the corner. And if you're not subscribed, make sure you do that now.